The sun, the bright sun that brings back not light alone, but a new life and hope and freshness to man burst upon the crowded city in clear and radiant glory. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts here in England and Norway. Matthew Russell and Chris Carney. I've decided to go with a bit of proper literature, Dickens, because mm. you're such a thespian these days, oh. Chris. I heard your Sainsbury's advert and I thought that was absolutely marvellous. Well, thank you very much. And I thought I'd try and gain your thespian skills at the start of the podcast. Well, I'm always here. You can talk to my agent. That little bit of quality. <laughs> it's going very, very well, isn't it? It, your little advert. It is. It's it's, uh, it's done. Uh, it's done. It's done moving. a bit of distance as well. And there's a, obviously, as we were just dis- discussing before we started recording, there's a, the, the the first of the three adverts, which had a bit of a, a racist backlash, uh, has caused a bit of a, a bit of unity between all the supermarkets of the UK as a, the hashtag Stand Against Racism, uh, which Channel Four got behind. So actually, really, really good. Um, so I'm very proud to be a be a part of something quite positive even though it is from a massive corporation there <laughs> <laughs> it's quite yes nice. but you know i i've got something slightly more frivolous of course oh and, yes but i've got to thank the spodcats because i know that some of the spodcats tuned into my other podcast mm. recovering queen wonderful and that went to number one in the itunes music chart can we get a rewind on that that is number oh, no. one in the itunes music chart I've never had a number one podcast before, Chris. <laughs> Have you had any number ones, though, Matt? <laughs> I, I, I've had a, I've, I've had a couple of number ones to do, today. <laughs> it's important to stay regular. Oh, That's so honestly, I'm, yeah, yes. I'm really proud of you, man, because I know you, you. This is your passion. Queen is your other passion. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's it's incredible. Like, and, yeah. and I love the podcast. It's sounding fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm a non-Queen fan. I'm learning everything. Every single second I'm learning something on it. <laughs> but it's uh, but it's great. And you guys have a great rapport. Like, I mean, that's the main thing. you got these guys who, who all just have the passion and it, it all comes through. So well done, my friend. Uh, well, thanks very much. Well, we've managed to do about three minutes without even mentioning space yet. Yeah, so I think we better there. correct that <laughs> yes. and go, right, it's time for Space Legend of the Week. Week, 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 week. It's someone's birthday today, an astronomer called Marta Borghe. Yes. From Italy. Where the best astronomers come from, isn't it? Galileo, obviously, being quite a good one. He's OG. <laughs> overrated. No, OG. <laughs> not overrated. What's OG? <laughs> He's certainly not overrated. <laughs> <laughs> what does o- what's, what's OG? Original gangster. Ah, he is a bit of an original gangster, for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Uh, an Italian radio astronomer, Marta Borghe, her claim to fame was she discovered the first... Double pulsar, so two pulsars orbiting each other. Goodness me. From the 64-metre Parks Radio Telescope in Australia. And that was her 2005 PhD paper that won the Pietro Tacchini Prize Mm. by the Italian Astronomical Society 
And and of course, she's got the obligatory asteroid named after her, like virtually everyone does. And I'm I'm actually getting a little bit worried that I don't. I've got a couple. Have you already? <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. <laughs> Since I started doing this. Oh, God damn it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, anyway, it's happy birthday to Marta Borge, absolute uh, space legend astronomer. While we're speaking, Chris, yeah, I think the Chinese are getting ready to land on the moon. It's that old Changi 5 again. That's the old Changi 5 or the Chonge 5. Oh, sorry. I I don't know how to pronounce it. I think Changi 5, that's fine, but Chonge, I probably, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I was actually looking up at, um, this week there was some, uh, about two days in a row, there was a beautiful Mars and moon conjunction mm-hmm. conjunction being when they're quite close to each other and make a, and make a pretty picture and uh, yeah there, there was it was beautiful actually i think on wednesday night it looked absolutely stunning uh, and I, but while i was looking at it, i was thinking crikey china's actually got spacecraft going to both of them right right there and then one mm. you know one was going to the moon and another one's off to mars so i think that's that's that says everything about the chinese space ambitions while we're all talking about it they're doing it they are doing it and um yeah so five days after it launched which it did launch after we said it was going to launch and it did it did indeed launch and it was a beautiful launch and everything seems to be going okay it's managed to get itself into orbit around the moon on saturday i believe that was excellent work and it's getting itself into the position to do the descent to the surface so yeah it's it, it i think it has to do something like three eight hour orbits to just to get it into a, this circular orbit before it attempts the landing hmm. but yes that could actually happen in about two hours that actually might happen oh wow like eight thirty this evening so all the listeners tomorrow will of course know this when this is actually released but it's really exciting but i was a little bit disappointed that i saw that nasa tweeted a couple of times saying oh you know congratulations to china for doing this and but they always finished it with a sort of snide remark of we hope the Chinese share it like we did (laughs) which which if anyone who's a parent knows that's a terrible bit of psychology human psychology right there yeah (laughs) it's like I talk about it's like goading them not to I love it it's almost like they're putting China on the naughty step yeah well done well yeah but make sure that it's a bit weird I didn't I didn't like it I thought it's much better just to be rise above it be the be the better person yeah because that's what oh, space exploration yeah. is about. It's literally about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Wait until they don't share it before you have a go at them. Yeah. This will be the first time in 44 years that um, something has gone to the moon to retrieve moon samples. Yeah. So there's been nine missions that have retrieved moon samples. That's six Apollo missions and three Soviet lunar missions. And Luna 24 was the last one in 1976. The year, in fact, that happened a couple of months before Marta Bourguet was born. So there you Fantastic. go. So Marta Bourguet, who's, who's had a career in astronomy, that's all happened since the last time we went to go and get moon rock. Amazing. <laughs> I mean, we're not counting all the... A whole life. But we're not, we haven't counted all the numerous times that Mr. Spoon went up there though. I believe that that doesn't count because he's not a because Mr. Spoon isn't human. He's, he's an alien of unknown origin. Yeah, that's true. That's true. 
Time to drink, Chris. Time to drink. We've Sounds got like it's Elon me. Musk. Oh, drink. I've got. A, I've just realised there's a bit of a problem with the Elon Musk drink game on uh, the change of um, the change of date that we put the podcast out on now, because when it was out on Friday. People drinking uh, to the <laughs> to Elon Musk, yeah, it's but it now comes out on Monday morning. So anybody who's playing the Elon Musk drink game, it's definitely got some good problems. on them. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, also, actually, that's what it's I should the only, say. It's the only way to make make your work day bearable. Surely, yeah, absolutely. The, who doesn't go into work half cut, Chris? Come on, <laughs> I don't even go to work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who goes to work? Yeah. I should have just finished there, shouldn't I? Uh, yes, Elon Musk has become the second richest person after Jeff Bezos. Amazing. So the two richest people on earth are rocket men. Yeah. And, and I ask you, Chris, do you think that that's a coincidence? I believe that it is the, uh, the way things should be. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I think it's it it's because they've I guess they they're so rich because they must have some kind of vision. Mm. You know, they're visionaries I suppose. And but they see the future in space, don't they? So yeah. it's it's either a very good thing for space or I just can't work it out, but that's got to be more than a coincidence, doesn't it? Have we overtaken Bill Gates? Yeah, he's overtaken Bill Gates. Elon Musk has overtaken Bill Gates because the Tesla share price went up. This is very interesting because obviously what I was going to say then is that Musk and Bezos have a, a you know, that 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 ambition and that ambition obviously, you know, goes beyond Earth, which sounds a bit trite, but, you know, like stick mm. with me on this. Uh, but Bill Gates seems to have dedicated more of his time to humankind on Earth. And maybe that's not something that people are as excited by but i think maybe it's, it's I, I feel it's just as worthy i mean perhaps that's where the sort of you know because this is all about status as well it's all about you know how people view the person and what their their interests are and um, i think maybe people are just more excited about the the space side of things than they are about the helping humans to have things like clean water <laughs> you know there's it's got to be two ways of thinking isn't it it's it, bill gates is you know what an amazing person what he's doing is is incredible i have to yeah. say and I, I i've got a lot of time for bill gates and and that whole spending all the money that you possibly can on on trying to solve the big 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 problems mm. and and that's brilliant but i actually think that that you need both you need your musks and your bezoses and you need your gates and buffets don't you on on the other side i.e i don't think that there is a it's not a polar thing, is it? It's a no, no. I it's fully a not agree. A dichotomy. I, fully agree. I think it's it's a. I think there's room for both. Yes, but without here's a doubt. the incredible thing. The incredible thing. Elon Musk's got a, a great week this week because more Starlinks have gone up. So that's 955 up there now. Wow. And well, 955 have been launched. There's 895 in orbit, which is just insane. Yeah. Uh, but the booster that carried them there was the hundredth. Falcon 9 launch. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it almost feels like the Falcon 9 just isn't that older vehicle. And I can't think of many space systems like that, launch systems, that have done 100 launches. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. But the incredible thing about it is that the booster that flew 
is over two years old, and that's its seventh time of flying. And landed. Seven times it's flown up. The first one being 2018, which was a Telstar. Then it did the final Iridium mission, then's done four more Starlink missions, and then finally this one. So, yes, seven missions since September 2018. So what's the uh, what's the, the shelf life on it? Is it, is it? is it still good to go? Yeah, I think I think they're supposed to do something like twenty or thirty. Well, just just keep going. Yeah, I actually can't remember, but I'll pop it in the notes. Yeah. The other one this week, which I'm going to have to say, if this happens, I'm going to have to change my best space event of the year from the Chongi Five mission to uh, this. So. Starship SN8. What a beauty. Which does look absolutely, I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. The, yeah. the footage coming out of Boca Chica by all those people that are down there is just amazing. I love, the, I love the one where they were mating the sort of two large sections of it and the people are standing around and, they're, and you get an idea of just how the scale of it and yeah. how big and shiny it all is. And it's just, <laughs> wow. But, yeah, so SN8, after a few issues with the engines, the Raptor engines, um, had a really good static fire test, and Elon Musk instantly tweeted that he was going to go for a 15-kilometre hop. (laughs) So that's going up 15 kilometres, which is... That's a lot. That's pretty high. And then uh, they're going to be testing the three-engine ascent, the body flaps, which are powered by Tesla's motors and batteries, which is quite fun. Yeah. The transition of using the header tanks. So the header tanks are these extra tanks that are, that uh, have fuel that's not sloshing around at that point so that you've got uh, a more controlled burn for the engine. So they're going to be used, uh, testing that transition. Uh, but the But the big bit is the landing flip where, where the where – the, Starship essentially is belly flopping in and then at the last moment sort of corrects itself. But as it corrects itself, it overcorrects itself and so has to undercorrect itself back again and land on the on the launch pad. And that manoeuvre just looks absolutely insane in the videos. <laughs> so if if that if that genuinely happens this week, yeah. I think that, that that's gonna be just incredibly mind-blowing it's just gonna be what the hell just happened there <laughs> musk thinks that's a 30 percent chance but he, he he is known for hedging his bets like he did with falcon heavy so but yeah. might it be the space event of the year if that happens well you know a changi five are just gonna be like oh musk, musk. <laughs> so but there's a lot of great space events this year considering we've had a a Horrid 2020. There's a lot. And I, as I was writing these notes, Chris, I've come up with a great idea. Yeah. It, it doesn't happen very often. But I'm going to have the Interplanetary Podcast Voter Awards. Brilliant. What do you brilliant. think? It needs a theme tune, though. I mean, come on. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, okay. We'll, 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 by, by next week, I'll have a theme tune. The brilliant. Interplanetary Podcast <laughs> Voter <laughs> Awards. It'll be something like that. Yeah. Fantastic. I, ca- I can't wait. Yeah. Can we get, so, can we get, uh, can we get I, Jamie back to like present it or something? That'd be brilliant. Oh, yes. Jamie can present the Interplanetary Podcast Voter Awards on yes. the final show of the year for definites. Yeah. Whether he likes it or not, he's coming back to do that. <laughs> so I've got in. four. Yeah, dragged in. I've got four <laughs> categories, unless anyone else moans and thinks I should add an extra. But no. best, best space event. Yeah. 
best space legend. I know, man. Best rocket. Whoa. And best bit of science. Quality. So there's four categories. So I want the listeners to get their nominations in this week. You can obviously do it on info at interplanetary.org.uk or just send it over to Twitter. I'll stick a, a kind of form on the website as well, so you can you can add it there as well. Um, but yes, get your nominations over. I'll read out the nominations next week, and then Jamie will read the winners on the last podcast of the year. What do you reckon? Amazing. If he's, if he's available, of course. If, <laughs> no, no just, he will. I've just completely Regardless, thrown him into the mix there, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> even if he's not available, he, he's doing it. It's as yeah. simple as that. Definitely. What yeah. we could do is get the all, all the previous episodes and just piece together like words that he said to make it sound like <laughs> he's actually doing it. <laughs> well, that's that, that's what deep fake's all about, Chris. I've got <laughs> hours and hours of Jamie footage, so that's fine. That's good. It'll be easy. Yeah. That's it. I'm deep. I'm deep faking Jamie. Deep fake <laughs> Jamie. To know, who, who's to know that this whole podcast hasn't been deep fake, Chris and Matt? Exactly, exactly. I'm yeah, out, I'm out tonight. I'm out on the town. Yeah. <laughs> I died two weeks ago. <laughs> I think I just maxed out oh. my microphone when I laughed then. <laughs> Said your avatar. The, yeah. <laughs> it's very clever, isn't it, these days, those things. Uh, oh, uh, yes. here's, here's the science news of the week, I think. Breakthrough in the sun. Mm-hmm. So the Borexino collaboration has finally seen evidence of a process in the sun that was theorised but never observed. So mm. if you want to know what Borexino collaboration is, it's a particle physics experiment. Do you know what? Is it, um, is it the, the world's most radio-pure liquid scintillator calorimeter? Do you know what? It really is, Chris. And yeah. it's in a stainless steel sphere which holds all the signal detectors, these photomultiplier tubes, or PMTs as you call them. Yes, I do. Uh, and it's shielded by a big water tank, which protects it from all this external radiation. But the water tank also acts as a, as a way of tagging incoming cosmic muons as well, which is mm. pretty cool, isn't it? That, yeah. But only a few of them get to it because this is built inside a massive mountain. So the mountain strips off pretty much everything coming in, except neutrinos that are supposed to be coming from the sun's core. So neutrinos are emitted during the fusion process at the centre of the core, which, which basically which powers the sun. Yeah. Uh, and it's the only direct probe we have of the sun's really deep interior. So these neutrinos coming out of the core are actually a way of peering inside the sun and also really it's a little bit itself. of a it's a little bit of a time machine as well isn't it because they take hundreds of thousands of years to get from the core to the surface is that right i i no, i don't think the neutrinos do i think the photons do oh that's so the, the one. photons damn it the photons take absolutely ages yeah to get out of the sun <laughs> because they're bouncing around all over the place which just makes you realise what? It, yeah, yeah. I'd, it, for the photon itself, of course, it took no time at all. But for us watching the photon, it took forever. 
Yeah. Or a long time anyway. Um, here's the special bit about this. So stars are fueled by fusion of hydrogen into helium, right? Correct. And and that fusion is is understood theoretically in, in very, very great detail. And they know it happens via two processes, the proton-proton or the PP chain <laughs> and the carbon-nitrogen-oxygen CNO cycle, right? Yeah. So neutrinos are released by both of those processes, but 99% of the sun's energy, and it's only the sun, uh, well, or stars like the sun, 99% of the sun's energy fusion comes from the PP chain. Yeah. Can, Chris, can I ask you a question? Yes. In, in Liverpool, do they have the expression to pull the chain when you go to the toilet? Yeah, or flush the bug. <laughs> flush yeah it, yeah obviously it means flush the bog but, but you pull the pull chain, the chain. Yeah, yeah yeah did, yeah, did you did you remember to pull the chain yeah if you pull the chain lads it, yeah did yeah. you pull the chain oh, so you still yeah. have it so give PP it a couple of minutes mum yeah pp chain is is most unfortunate isn't it yes um, it is <laughs> <laughs> i went for the pp the neutrinos from this process have already been observed by the by the borexino so that is not really up for debate at all so they've seen the neutrinos from the pp chain but they've <laughs> never spotted the neutrinos from the one percent cno cycle until now wow so over the last five years, they've been improving the sensitivity of the, the detector. And, and a lot of that is to, is to make it thermally stable. So presumably it's the fluid that's in it is just absolute. They know exactly what temperature is and it doesn't fluctuate. And mm. that's allowed them to compensate for the noise that's caused by any uh, contamination, which apparently is the decay of bismuth 210. So, so they're only counting a few neutrinos a day that are associated with the CNO. And bearing in mind neutrinos are coming through in their billions, that, you know, the few neutrinos that they know are coming from this type of CNO decay isn't very often. So the noise ha had to be reduced massively so that that tiny signal can make it over that noise floor, which is, again, it's just remarkable the instrumentation these days and just how amazing the instrumentation is and, and that's it's mind that's what it's all about honestly. it is yeah, mind-blogging yeah. yeah the sort of micro detail is is unbelievable i can't even begin the cno and this is this is the cool bit so they have spotted these neutrinos coming from the cno obviously the cno carbon nitrogen oxygen this this kind of way of detecting neutrinos now could be a way of measuring the abundance of those atoms in the solar core so the solar metallicity of what it's like in at the core of the particular star that you're looking at wow and i said the sun the cno cycle is only one percent but in massive stars it's actually the dominant process so it's not the pp chain in big stars it's 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 the cno yeah and so if you think about it this this is the first time that we've experimentally observed the primary mechanism for the conversion of hydrogen to helium in the universe. Hmm. So that's got to be that's got to be up for a mention at the Nobel Prize. I would have thought that, just a, just a, a, like an honourable honourable nod. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
crikey. We've we've got one big one big one this week as well. That uh, this was this was coming on the Discord, but I tell you what's a real coincidence. I, I want to make the space word of the week. Password of the week <laughs> was <laughs> the the cosmic web. Yes, uh, and. One of the reasons why is because uh, George and I have been trying to, we've been falling out really over <laughs> trying to create this a- animation, uh, 3D animation of the cosmic web turning into the human brain synapses. I thought it was a good start to a video that I'm trying to do for the space store. A little collaboration I've got going with them, which we're trying to, you know, do a little pilot episode. And, oh. uh, and, this this cosmic web turning into the human brain to sort of express how the universe is massive and, and we might be the only people to the only thing where matter has somehow bizarrely assembled itself to be able to have consciousness and think about the universe yeah but there's been a paper released that's that talks about the remarkable similarities between this cosmic web and the human brain you know mm. and it this is this is something that people have talked about over the years but this is a, a sort of really good general analysis of of the similarities and actually how spooky it is and that yeah. that there's there's some maybe some deep profound things in there i feel like so, i'm going yeah, to align my chakras before i uh continue yeah it's it's very spiritual chris this part of the show um (laughs) my spiritual chakras are telling me you need to give me your car chris (laughs) 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 you need to give up all your worldly goods yes this there was an exhibition in san francisco that had all this kind of stuff in uh but then I started to think to myself, well, what exactly is the cosmic web? We, I mean, it gets banded around and, and we've seen the picture. Uh, but actually, the, the cosmic web deserves a quick space word of the week because it's, it's important, I think. Yeah. So what's incredible, when you look up at the night sky and you see all the stars and you think, yeah, they're they're pretty random, right? You look out and it's all randomly spaced. And okay, there's little lumps there and little lumps there. But that kind of is pretty indicative of a random distribution of things, right? Yeah. I mean, the crazy thing about that is, of course, all the stars, all those countless stars that you see in the night sky are all actually pretty close to us. And and you virtually see no other galaxies, except maybe if you've got incredibly dark skies, very good eyesight, you can just about make out Andromeda through averted vision, i.e. through the corner of your eye, as a smudge. And so occasionally you can just about glimpse Andromeda with the naked eye and maybe a couple of other galaxies that uh, are as close, part of the Virgo cluster of galaxies. Um, And they're the most distant objects you could possibly see. But most of the stars in our own galaxy, we don't see them even. Mm. Um, just the sort of local stars that are around us. So discovering this cosmic web, which is which is on a completely different scale, is just an, an in- achievement in itself of mankind. You know, so what you need is something as powerful as Hubble to look really deep, and Hubble really only sees galaxies. And in the same way that we see stars, so it sees all these galaxies, and everywhere it looks, it looks like 
they're fairly, you know, randomly distributed. Astronomers have looked closer and and really found no this isn't a random distribution at all. There's, there is actually something else going on. You do actually start to see s- more structures built into the universe on on an absolutely vast scale that isn't random. And that is the cosmic web. And when you sort of zoom out and you see these um, computer simulations of the cosmic web or, you know, how astronomers have built what the cosmic web actually looks like. It does look like a, a sort of spider's web, and it's and it's galaxies and galaxy clusters and the and the filaments of gas that stretch between them, and it creates this web. And there's large voids in between all of this, where there where there's literally nothing. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like, well, how, how did that? come to be i'm scared matt what of a big spider in the universe (laughs) i'm scared of a giant spider but i'm also now afraid that i'm inside someone's brain well yeah i mean the 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 crazy thing is as you're here there are incredible similarities but we did a an episode uh, a long time ago now it seems like over 100 episodes ago about baryonic acoustic oscillations and Mm. that is one of the reasons why you've got this this um non-randomness in the structure the, at, at, at this vast scale because I'm, well, well i mean here's the thing you've got this tiny dense universe right at the beginning like incredibly tiny yeah. in, incredibly smooth as well but it's not perfectly smooth after a millionth of a second uh, and for the first 379,000 years, the universe was just this plasma of electrons, protons, neutrons, and other baryonic matter, and, and especially dark matter, uh, and photons. And it's just way too hot ever to sort of uh, coalesce down into any kind of matter at all. So it's just plasma. And yeah. and this is for the first 379,000 years from a millionth of a second. So the um, after a second, <laughs> the observable universe was about ten light years in radius. Got to wait ages for that, didn't and they? that's it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that that inf- obviously it's inflated. That first fraction of a second second is in this ridiculous piece of inflation. That and perhaps more happened in that first second than, than has happened afterwards. That that's mm. the crazy thing. But in that intense glowing soup that was there of photons in this plasma, photons can't really work as light because they're bouncing around. They can't go in a straight line. So they keep bumping into electrons. And so there is no light. But around about 379,000 years after the Big Bang comes recombination. And that's as the plasma reaches this magic temperature where the electrons can be caught by the protons and neutrons and become atoms for the first time. And for the first time in the universe, we have hydrogen. Uh, And at that point, the photons are able to go, oh, we've got some room to move now. And actually, that's the first light is born, essentially. And so the the observable universe, in terms of what you can observe, starts there. But how can you see beyond this kind of opaque period where where light couldn't escape? And the the miracle there is that there is these acoustic baryonic waves, and they genuinely are acoustic waves where this 
this plasma was almost ringing like a bell with all this energy and these acoustic um, oscillations are forming inside, you know, like almost like ringing around and vibrating. Uh, but we can see the fossilized versions of those acoustic vibrations because at some point um, the the universe changed to a point where the the the, the speed of sound changed from uh, half the speed of light down to its 100 meters per second uh, type speed <laughs> at this point of recombination. So the the plasma's like gonging around, and then suddenly sound becomes like this slow moving thing. Uh, and and so it's almost like it's been fossilized, these big bubbles, and this is what actually gives the distance of if you actually look at the universe, that's that's still imprinted on the universe itself. So there's this magical bump at 500 million light years between all the galaxies. And that's like this this distance comes up far too often. And it's this echo from these uh, acoustic baryonic waves, essentially placing the galaxies where they were. Um, it's, I mean, A, it's an amazing, it's an amazing proof of dark energy and yeah. uh, Einstein's cosmological constant and things like that. But it's it's absolutely, you know, mind-blowing. But it but it's but those acoustic oscillations <coughs> have given this cosmic web its kind of shape almost. Sir, so, uh, I have a question. Yes, go on, hit me. Five hundred million light years of distance. Are we talking about distances between galaxies here, or yeah, so or, or, or this, galaxy cl- galaxy clusters? Normally, I think. So okay. it's like it's almost th- this. These acoustic bubbles are creating areas of. If you think about acoustics, it's pressure waves, and these pressure waves is where where material gets denser and not so dense. So, an acoustic propagation of sound is where the where the air pressure gets dense and other in other words there's lots of air molecules there or not mm. so dense where there's not so many air molecules and that pressure wave propagates uh, by sort of pushing things into each other and making dense areas and not so dense areas so this and, is my that, that was my preamble this is mm. my big <laughs> this is my question how does this comply or how does this apply to the fact that the universe is expanding oh this is a really honestly that that gets the nub of this 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 whole thing because yeah gravity that his that inflationary period in the first second means that gravity is almost playing catch-up so, and I've not really thought of it like this way before, and I, and, I, and I still don't think I've completely grasped it. But, but I love this 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 whole thought that gravity is almost playing catch up. So, the it, it gravity moves, even though it's completely you know an infinite force, it still moves. Its its effect still moves at the at the speed of light. So it yeah. it can't affect things instantaneously it takes the the same amount of time as light does to get there so gravity has been pulling pulling bits of the universe together so the, the after the big bang 
these small changes in density mean that slowly gravity is pulling in those areas more and more and more. And as gravity sort of permeates through the this new universe, it creates the first stars. So there's just about enough gravity to pull all this stuff together and the first stars start getting made. And then they blow up and then seed more stars. And then gravity is able to pull more of these stars and more of these stars together and create galaxies. And then, and that's only after hundreds of millions of years. Um, yeah. You know, tens of millions of years for the first stars, hundreds of millions of years for the first galaxies, then billions of years for the galaxy clusters and superclusters. And this is because gravity is working its way through space and well through space time and pulling everything together and so um you've got this and so gravity has essentially built the cosmic web and and things like acoustic uh, oscillations and quantum fluctuations in the early universe have decided what that cosmic web is going to look like uh but there's a kind of limit to the structure and permanency of this of this thing just like you said the universe is is expanding and and yeah. and gravity has been propagating through and pulling all the large structures together and it's been playing this catch-up game but it's been playing it with dark energy right and it's starting to lose because dark energy is a runaway kind of expansion and, it, and it's getting faster and faster and faster so the huge structures in the local group of galaxies the and there's this one called Laniakea, Laniakea, which is a Hawaiian term for immense heaven, which is the galaxy <laughs> supercluster that contains the, the Milky Way and a hundred thousand other nearby galaxies. So yeah. it's this enormous structure. But unlike the kind of more local structure, but say between the Milky Way and uh, Andromeda, for example, where gravitate the gravity has has truly got its grip on us. So, yeah. the Milky Way and Andromeda will come crashing down towards each other as gravity pulls us all in. But this Laniakea structure is too big. It's actually too big. So even though it looks like a structure, it's actually a phantom, and will eventually fall apart as the dark energy essentially rips it apart but eventually of course dark energy will encroach on everything and pull us all apart until hmm. the heat death of the universe but yeah it's tom with the weather <laughs> so, <laughs> so it might be it might be that the universe has peaked in structure right now so th this this might be this might be the most structured yeah the universe well, i mean isn't been. that like uh one of the sort of the sad things is that what we're observing now, we wouldn't be able to observe. Even if we did exist in 100,000 years, we probably would struggle to observe what we're observing now. Yeah, it's a bigger scale than that. I mean, yeah, maybe if humanity had, had appeared on appeared on the Earth in billions of years, yeah, maybe some of the things that we see now will have drifted beyond the horizon of what what we're able to see and mm. yeah you you wouldn't be able to work out some of the things of the universe because they've already gone over that horizon but of course yeah. that may have already have happened we there may be things that are clues into how the universe was created that have gone beyond our horizon you know oh. if, if you know so, yeah i know which is, which is pretty mind-blowing but back to this paper this this recent paper that is looking at the human brain yeah is 
the brain and the universe, this cosmic web, have unbelievable, remarkably similar structures, right? But even yeah. though one is caused by biology and the other is caused by gravity, you know, this is they're totally different things at play, but they've created patterns that are really similar. One's on a vast scale and one's on a tiny scale. One's almost as tiny as it could be and one's almost as vast as it could be. So the brain is a billion, billion, billion times smaller than the universe, yet it's got 69 billion neurons in it. And the cosmic web contains, in the visible universe that is, contains about 100 billion galaxies, so about the same order of magnitude. So there's the same amount of galaxies as there are neurons, for one, so that's a that's a pretty <laughs> kind of correlation. Yeah, um, the neurons in the brain and the galaxies in the universe are all connected by these filaments. Uh, the brain is about seventy seven percent water, and the universe is around seventy two percent dark energy. So they think that there may be a connection between those two things. These things that apparently play no part, but are clearly important in the creation of the structure itself. Um, and there's crazy things like that. The, the distribution of the fluctuation within the cerebellum neural network follows the same progression as the distribution of matter in the cosmic web, but obviously on a completely different scale. Yeah. There's roughly four connections per node. So each galaxy is connected by filaments to other galaxies by about usually by four different filaments and the same with uh, <laughs> neurons to each other. Uh, and so interestingly, yes, the whole human a whole human experience could theoretically be encoded in the structure of the universe. So the structure of the universe is complex enough that it could hold, Chris Carney, all his memories and experiences. So, Matt, so, like, one of the things that we can't really explain is consciousness and another thing that we can't explain is dark energy. What if dark energy is consciousness? What, what if, indeed? Well, I mean, you're getting dangerously close to the to uh, things like panpsychia there. But hey, yeah. yeah, I mean, like all the time, all the time there's this big gap in knowledge. And let's face it, dark energy, dark matter, consciousness. We're talking some of the big, big, big questions. I mean, when I was a kid and Stephen Hawking would talk about, you know, the theory of everything and things like that. And I thought, you know, we were on the cusp. And then you think, Crowid, we're absolutely miles away from a theory of everything, really. Unless yeah. someone, you know, in the next 10 years... You know, we might have cracked it. Someone goes, ah, oh, yeah, I know what dark energy is. Ah, oh, and look, all of this falls out, like, really neatly. Consciousness, <laughs> dark matter. So just, it all just all comes out. out. It's it worked, God. That all comes out in the equation. <laughs> it turns out, it's, <laughs> turns out it is turtles stacked up on, one, on top of each other. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Uh, that has been an absolutely mind-blowing adventure, man. Brilliant. Oh, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad my, th these edibles are just about to start kicking in. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to. I, I love it. I do, I do love that, that connection between the brain and the universe is, is really fascinating. I mean, I think it's much more to do with sort of complexity and 
how complexity can actually come into creation you know how, how, how is it created and that there are you know and i love things like the mandelbrot set and all those kind of things that that generate mm. complexity from simplicity and you think yeah that it's the same with the universe it's the same with the human brain that these that these structures that there's these sort of simple causation for them but it creates these absolutely amazing objects <laughs> the brain and the universe I, I just yeah. don't know what's more exciting the human brain human biology or or yeah astrophysics it's it's hard to tell which one is the most mind-blowing they're both and of course the uh, the irony of it is that we use the human brain to study the universe matthew and we use the universe to study the human brain yes we do <laughs> we do <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. <laughs> or as Carl Sagan said, the universe has found a way to know itself. Or something like that. I can't remember yeah, exactly did, what it is. He said something like that. He, was, like he that. said a lot of things. He did say a lot of things. You should shut all up, Sagan. All great. Oh, all great. <laughs> shut up. I mean, that's what Come I meant. on. Dry up, Sagan. <laughs> no, dry up. Yeah. Stop being so blooming. <laughs> so good with words. Chris, that's it. We've come to the end. So don't forget, don't forget there's a task for the Spodcats this week and that's to come up with the nominations for best space event, best space legend, best rocket and best bit of science of 2020 for the Interplanetary Podcast Voter Awards. Amazing, amazing. And I'm That's just a to, nomination, I'm just nominations this week. Let's try not to influence people who, who, who I think my space legend is. I'm not going to say. Well, no, anything. no, that's okay. Who's your Who's your space legend of the of the year? Oh, good one, good one. No, I think that's a very good choice. <laughs> so, and 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 you know, or yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard to beat that one if it, if that it actually comes off. So, are we forcing uh, we, the we voters' might... hands here? Are we forcing? No, the voters? no, you know no, because I mean? someone might have a completely different. It might be the. That might be people's favourite. Do that. Also, I know the Spodcats are rather... Uh, they, they, they have their opinions and they are strong. The Spodcats have got very, very strong opinions on things. It's been a long podcast. I thought it was going to be a short one. It ends up being a long one. It's been a beauty, though. Absolutely loved it. Until next week. Yes. And the nominations. Yes. Nominations read out next week. Bye-bye, yes. Spodcats. Bye, Spodcats. Bye, Spodcats. Bye, Spodcats.